Listen to God's word here when God says to the people through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. And then going to Matthew 11, I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. For the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be, I've never done this before, where you, I've actually preached through a book like, um, um, like this book. I've never used a book to preach from. I use them to re- reference uh, preaching through books of the Bible and uh, one of the elders in our meeting, uh, when I was talking about wanting to do this, he, sa- he was saying to, uh, to me and everybody else, I don't think we've ever preached from a book. Uh, and I heard him say, through a book. And I thought, you've been through lots of books of the Bible. But what he was referring to is this book by uh, Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. It's getting a lot of press. A lot of people are talking about this book. A friend of mine's a pastor. The elders bought copies for all the members of the church and handed it to them as a gift and say, we want everyone to take this book and read it and take it to heart. Um, World Magazine voted it as the book of the year in 2020. Um, And if you need encouragement, if you need inspiration, if you need to know Jesus better or you need to know him for the first time, uh, I can't highly, more highly recommend Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So we'll, in the reader every week, I'll let you know uh, what's going on in terms of what chapters to read. But even after today, there is no way I can communicate all the things that are so richly embedded in each of the chapters about knowing Jesus better that Orland unpacks for us. But we're going to be using this book. I'm going to be preaching from the book. Today I'll be quoting directly from some of the things that he says but trust me, it will light you up. And have I told you all how much I love Christmas? Have I told you yet? Yeah, I think I have. Some of you know. Um, it will light you up like a Christmas tree. You will go, oh my goodness. I knew, knew Jesus was good, but I didn't know he was this good. Um, as we come to this passage this morning, I want to sort of introduce the passage by telling you about an experience I had a few years ago. I was invited to attend a fundraising banquet for a prison ministry. About 400 people were attending. So it turns out that uh, my good friend's company was sponsoring the event. So I got a table right on the front row, one of those round tables at a banquet. 
and I got to hear from uh, a guy named Justin and a guy named Patrick. And again, let me encourage you to read the book, I'll Push You, or you can go online and Amazon Prime and watch the video called I'll Push You. I think you have to purchase it though, but it's a way of supporting their ministry and what they're doing. But um, so up on the stage was Justin, who has been attacked by a disease like ALS. He's in a wheelchair. He's basically, he can just turn his head, maybe lift his shoulders. He's probably in his mid-30s, and as is Patrick, where they were boyhood friends. They grew up in Oregon. They did everything. They were best men in their weddings. They loved each other. And when Justin moved to San Diego, married with kids, this disease started to attack his body. And Patrick was living in Boise, Idaho. And uh, Patrick was so moved by his friend's suffering, he would fly down, spend time with him, try and help him. Lots of prayers, lots of encouragement, hoping he would heal. But it was obviously God was not going to allow that to happen. His body was just degenerating quickly. Patrick so loved uh, Justin that he moved Justin and his family to Boise so Patrick could help his wife and children and care for him. So one day when they're having a picnic at Patrick's house, everybody else is outside playing, uh, you know, Justin's kids, his wife, picnic outside, but they had to put Justin inside watching a TV, and Justin was just depressed. And so uh, the question was, what, are you gonna, what do you want to watch? And Justin was like, I don't care. So Patrick put on uh, Rick Steves traveling through Europe. Some of you know that show on PBS about traveling all, all over the world, but primarily in Europe. And so uh, it happened to be an episode on the pilgrimage of Camino del Santiago, which is how people from all over the world will come to northern Spain, starting in France or in Italy, and will move towards going 500 miles in this pilgrimage. And Justin is watching that, and he goes, I want to do that. Now, Justin has no physical strength, no ability. He just had this vision of dream. I want to do this. So Patrick comes in and says, how it's going? He said, I've just watched this amazing show. Patrick, I really want to do this. And Patrick took a deep breath and go up and went, okay. <laughs> and it's a story of Patrick training, prepping. They did this special push cart uh, to put Justin in because Patrick would literally have to pick him up, put him in it. They're going to travel 500 miles, starting in the Pyrenees down and then up and all across northern Spain in 35 days. So the movie gives you a great picture of all the people who helped them along the way, but it's so powerful to see Patrick's love for Justin, to give him that gift. And so the title of the book, the movie is, I'll Push You, and Patrick's giving his life totally and loving Justin so well. I mean, there's so many moving scenes in there, but to see them in real time talk to each other, banter, laugh, and joke, and I took a picture with them afterwards, and Justin kind of leaned his head on me, and Patrick was giving me a big bear hug, and we were just talking about, man, what a picture of the gospel of a love of one man for another man who would do this for him. So I want to encourage you this morning, though, as we look at this passage, it's a picture of Jesus saying to all of us, I will carry you. 
I will help you. I will push you. I will meet you when you feel like you can't go forward, you can't go ahead, you don't know which way is up. But we see in this uh, picture of what we read from Jeremiah uh, 6, 16 and 17, it's the backdrop of Jesus using these verses. Again, if you're exploring Christianity, Jesus was saturated in the Old Testament. It fed so much of who he was and what he talked about. So he's actually coming from these verses and bringing them in real time to the people he's talking to during his earthly ministry when he says, I will give you rest. Because you see it right there in Jeremiah 6, uh, 16 and 17, where God says, stand at the road, look for the ancient paths, find the good way. Okay, a little clue, Jesus, I am the way. Find the good way and you will find rest for your souls. Now, one of the things you gotta love about the Bible is uh, it's so honest because the people's response to this invitation is, big whoop, we don't care. <laughs> We're not interested. Um, and then he says, and sound the trumpet and, and get people's attention to the trumpet. And they go, false alarm, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to us. So in Jeremiah's day, the people's hearts were so hard and difficult. And these were people who were followers of God. This is the covenant community. This is not unbelievers who are outside. These are people in the community of the church in the Old Testament just saying, eh, meh, you know, what, what's, it doesn't make any sense. But here Jesus picks it up and he comes after us and says, I am the good way. And he's giving us this in invitation. Now, one of the clues when we look at this passage more carefully is Jesus says, I reveal this to children. I don't reveal it to people who think they're really smart and really know a lot and have all the right questions and lots of doubts and all the things that might fit in with your education. Jesus says, I reveal it to children and I choose to reveal it in a way that even though you might be very accomplished intellectually and academically, you and I know there's still the heart of a child in you that God wants to draw out. Because Jesus said, unless you become like a child, um, then uh, how is this going to make sense to you? Uh, how are you going to understand that unless you become childlike, not childish, but childlike, you can't see the kingdom? It, it makes no sense. You read the Bible and it's like reading um, something that's in a magazine or a book that you really have to read but you don't want to read. It doesn't make sense. But if you get that childlike heart that says in this book, on every page and every chapter, it's whispering to us, Jesus. It's calling us to know that the source of all life is found in him. Now notice uh, what Jesus says. He says, um, you need to come. Uh, so hear him speaking to us today, come. And, um, and who is he calling? People who are weary and uh, burdened. Who gets to come? The caricatures would be only people who are successful and achievers, people who are the winners, people who are good looking or the wealthy. But notice how Jesus reaches out to the weary and the heavy burden. So if we were to break into small groups right now and uh, we just said, oh, well, let's break up in groups of three or four and go around the circle, introduce yourself. My name is Clyde Godman. Uh, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, temporarily living here for the next few months. 
And my greatest burden is this. If you and I could chat this morning or you could chat with some people who are after the service, you want to hang around, and I said to you, what's your greatest burden? Again, all of us have great burdens. Nobody here is immune from it. Nobody escapes it. We all feel the burden of a broken world and a broken story, broken families, broken careers, broken promises, betrayal, death. They're burdens that we're all carrying today. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. He says, come. He invites you to come to him. Why? Because he doesn't want to point a finger at you. He wants to say, I'm ready to welcome you into uh, the glory of my heart. Now listen to Orland when he says, consider the glory of Jesus' heart for your ups and downs. The gospel offers us not only legal exoneration, but which is an inviolably precious truth that also sweeps us up into Christ's very heart. It also sweeps us up into Christ's very heart. Here's how you know Jesus is real, is that when you really begin to understand how much he loves you in the midst of your burden, your suffering, your sin. Right in the introduction, I mean, again, um, when I read it and underlined it, I wanted to stand up and said, I'm ready to preach. Put me on the corner. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Because it talks about how God has accepted us and made real to us through Christ this relationship with him. But it said it also reveals how much God longs for us to know his heart when we are screwing up. Now, I'm the chief among screw-ups here. I can be impatient and irritable with the best of them. I can be cold-hearted. And Valerie will testify that, pray for my husband. He's not having a good week. Um, but to realize right at that moment when I'm acting out my own trauma, my own brokenness, my own burdens, Jesus never stops loving me. He never stops loving you. And he wants to meet you with this heart for him that melts you in the face of being just so ticked off. And I'd use more graphic language, but this is church and it's not appropriate for the children. But you know what it feels like to be so mad you want to spit. That's a, one of my mom's uh, things, you know, is to say that. But just to be so frustrated, so weary, so ticked off by whomever or whatever that it just feels like worthless. And you're ready to say, hey, let me send in my membership to um, Job's Wife's Club which to be a member, you have to say, just curse God and die. <laughs> just say, screw it. You know, I, I give up. I'm trying so hard. I've been working so hard. I, and you're, I don't get tenure. I don't get a pass by a PhD exam. You mean uh, you're not going to say yes to my invitation to marry me? <laughs> you're going to reject me that way? For those of you who tasted that kind of brokenness and rejection at whatever level, it damages you. Now, uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named John Eldridge. And so I want to encourage you how this sets up this passage because Eldridge says to each one of us, ever since you were born, your heart has been on a long, brutal assault against your heart by the one who knows who you will become if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. 
if you think about your story and think about how your life is playing out, think about the assault that you felt on your story, your family, your friendships, because the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to crush you with his meanness and his cruelty, and sadly, many times through the church. When I pulled up this morning uh, to church, uh, one of the brothers greeted me out here, and there was a street person walking by, and uh, this brother just said to this guy, "Uh, good morning. (laughs) And the guy goes, delete a couple of curse words, you, and I hate your church. (laughs) And I thought, well, hello. You know, uh, wow. You know, my friend is just being nice to this guy as he's walking by. He seems to be, you know, uh, even though he's a street person, you can tell, you can see that he's been somebody at some point, and who knows what's happened to him. But he says directly to us, I hate your church. Now, I don't know that he's ever been in Christ the King. I don't know what he's been around and what he's been through, but that hatred, that assault on his soul is real. And so much a part of me wanted to kind of chase him down, but we just said a brief prayer as we walked in to get ready. But I hope I'll see him again uh, on Mass Avenue or here on Prospect and say, tell me what happened. Why are you so hurt? Why has it become so difficult for you to want to believe that it wasn't God's fault, but maybe other people use God's name in a wrong way that's hurt you so deeply? This passage, as we go through it, is an invitation to fall in love with Jesus. This book is all about his love for us. Um, I was talking with a good friend of mine this week. He's a wonderful guy. He's been, um, you know, I knew him when he first became a a believer at Duke Law School, Uh, had a successful legal career. He's retired, but he has been through much sadness and loss. And if I was to tell you some of his story today, you'd go, why does he still believe (laughs) that there is a God? Because Jesus was saying to him through all the trials and tribulations, come, Uh, I want to show you what my heart is like, that my heart is gentle and lowly. And as we were sitting there talking about some other things, he said, Clyde, I want to tell you, I'm falling in love with Jesus again. Remember what it was like when you were really in love with Jesus? Um, Maybe today the word that comes to the church at Ephesus is the word to you because the church at Ephesus was a very successful uh, church, and it was in the big city of the Asia Minor. Um, And and Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. At Christ the King, we're praying for revival. We're praying for God to do something extraordinary for each one of us, but together. And when that revival is coming, we will be so in love with Jesus together. That's how do you know what revival looks like. It's like we are so in love with who Jesus is, what he's done, who he is for right now, because he's revealing to us his gentle and lowly heart. Um, Let's go back and just use a biblical uh, illustration of this. Um, It should encourage all the sisters here, probably many of you already know this, that Jesus did a lot of radical stuff. One was he invited women to be his followers, his disciples. That just did not happen in that culture at time. He made a a special effort to include women in the circle of people that he taught. 
And most of you remember the event in Luke um, uh, chapter 10 at the end. And again, apologies to Martha, so Mary's here, but the Marys are the hero of the story. Uh, but um, it applies to all of us because we're all so much like Martha and we want to be like Mary. You know the incident, Jesus is in their home because he, is, he was a teacher. He had taken them under his wing to disciple them, to show them the heart of God. And we all know that what's happening is Martha's really, she's so wound up in preparing and fixing, she's mad that Jesus is just sitting there at Jesus' feet. And she says, Jesus, um, you need to help me out and tell her to come help me. And Jesus says, no, she's chosen the better part. Now, there's a lot more we can say about that passage, but here's the thing to see, which some friends of mine helped me see years ago, and I just was reminded of it this week. There was one person who got it, <laughs> this side of the cross, and it was Mary. Because Jesus was saying, I've got to suffer, and I have to be beaten, and then I need to die. I'm going to crucify it. And the disciples heard it. They heard it. He, Jesus didn't hide it. Three times in Luke, he says it. This has got to happen. They didn't. They missed it totally. So they were totally shocked that Jesus was crucified. But Mary, Mary got it. And if you go to Mark 5, 14, one of the most beautiful scenes in the Bible is she comes in and she anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive jar of perfume. She's anointing his body for burial. And Mary had heard him say it, and she got it. It connected. Now, again, when Jesus invites you into his heart and his story, the cross is going to become so real to you. And like Mary, you're going to get it, and you want to anoint people in your life with what it means to walk in the power of the cross. It's going to, it makes sense to you. And not only are you going to want to understand its power, but you're going to want to boast. And this is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The reason that Jesus can invite you and I into his heart and never grows weary of doing that is because he died for us in such a way that he earned for us God's eternal delight. So if you showed up today going, God is so disappointed in me, I'm so screwed up, and you're just covered in your shame, Jesus says, shame off you. I've died so that you wouldn't be controlled by your shame, defined by your shame. You do shameful things. I do shameful things. But I've made a way for you to remind yourself of who you really are so that you can be free. So one of the heroes in the Gospels is Mary. And that scene in Mark 14, I encourage you to go read over it today and say, Jesus, let my life be consecrated to you and that I understand that this is what I need. This is what my family needs. This is what my friends need. This is what my coworkers need. I want to learn how to boast in the cross and its power. When Jesus says, um, I'm going to give you rest, and again, there's, we're going to keep looking at this passage. It's just like a diamond, multifaceted, that Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. It points to what we're going to do here in just a moment at this table where we're going to come and rest. This is a table of rest. Is that God wants us to come and understand that we can live a life of deep satisfaction, contentment of who, because of who Christ is and what he's done. God wants to give to you and me this deep sense of acceptance and assurance of his love for us that frees us up to not need anything else. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. 
When it says in the Bible that God rested on the seventh day after creation, it wasn't because God was not working. God rested because he was satisfied. When Jesus says it is finished at the cross, the Father was satisfied that the work of redemption that needed to happen for us was done. And then out of that, um, our lives would be changed forever. Because Jesus says, I come to those I choose to reveal myself to. And my friend, this morning, Jesus is revealing himself to you, saying, come, and I'll give you rest. And I'm going to teach you again what I'm like so that you might live in the unforced rhythms of grace, that you might know the joy of feeling the rhythm of his love and the rhyme of his love. And it makes you so bold and courageous in the face of so much that's wrong in our world because God has dealt with the wrong that's in me and you. And then we're free, really free to believe and dream big dreams for what God can do in Cambridge and wherever we're from and what God can do in Haiti. We're free to do that. Jesus says, I will carry you. He never tires of sweeping you into his endless embrace. Let us pray. Jesus, we're grateful for the, just the beginning of the opportunity of really meditating and dwelling on this, that it would feed us until we want more. Uh, that we're so excited about falling in love with you again and being uh, your friend uh, and really understanding what it means to live out this life that you've given us. So Jesus, uh, help us, we pray. Amen.